0: This is The Process on SiriusXM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Now, here are Eric J. Furta and Eileen Cunningham Fikens. Welcome to The Process on SiriusXM Stars. Eric Furta, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania, live at SiriusXM Studios in New York City.
1: New York, New York.
0: That's right. Joined by my partner in The Process, Eileen Cunningham Fikens, Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School.
1: Here I am. Here we are. This is our 11th show.
0: We go to 11. The last weekend of December and the last weekend of 2018. How are you feeling about that?
1: I'm feeling good. 2019 is going to be a great year. I feel it in my bones.
0: 2019 is going to rock and we want to help you with our show, The Process. We dive into the journey of college admissions. We explore the inside of the search process to help you, families, students, and counselors. Please give us a call, 866-993-8267 or email
1: yeah, send us an email at the process at com. So what are you doing these days, Eric, now that you know the first wave is through, early decision applications those students have been notified of their decisions, on um, their applications. What, what's going on in your office? A little bit of
0: a reprieve, I would say. Okay. We moved our deadline at Penn to January 5th, so no one has to nice. press submit on January 1. And so that helps them out, and also it gives us a break in the admissions office. Financial aid offices, though. David Charlotte's is here with us.
2: Hey, Dave. Absolutely. Financial aid offices are still working on the uh, early decision appeals and reconsiderations. And they're gearing up as well for uh, for regular decision when the regular decision decisions start rolling in for admissions, and those deadlines are coming up. That's right. We want to talk about that For many schools, today. and
1: we'll talk about that a little later, probably. I have a question, actually. So, with the up the moved up deadline to October first, or not deadline, I should say, the live line for financial aid processing, are you seeing a shift? Are most schools now? able to give an indication to students who have applied and been admitted under early programs, are most of those students receiving their financial aid award package when they get their decision?
2: I think that most schools that are early decision, binding early decision, um, already did that based upon just the CSS profile. But now they can be more sure that the awards will be less an estimate and and, and more accurate. And I think the earlier FAFs as well is helping schools that are non-binding early action uh, notify with with estimates earlier than they used to be able to.
1: I'm just wondering how that impacts the whole process of appeal for those financial aid offices, right, because well, it was so What do you so see, Eileen, at
0: Dwight Englewood School? You know, decisions were posted at Penn on December the 13th, a lot of early action, early decision, mid-December. If families get their information in, are they getting their packages simultaneously?
1: They are. For those students who have applied through our office, yes. I have seen them with the awards in hand or with the at least the financial aid packages spelled out for them. And, of course, a number of students have been... Um, very great in their in their academic um, profile and so have then been awarded merit-based aid irregardless of whether or not they applied for financial aid
0: and we're really sitting we're, at, we're sitting at a lot of deadlines right now so we'd love to hear from you 866-993-8267 leave us a message or the process at siriusxm.com
1: Dave, what's up?
2: Yeah, and I'd also like to say with that earlier October 1st launch for the Mm -hmm. FAFSA uh, and the profile, since so many students apply early decision or early action and have already done these two main forms, they have less of a scramble for the regular decision deadlines that start, they're they're often January 15th or February 1st. Sometimes they're as late as February 15th, but a lot of the students are are already already done. Those that aren't, though, um, really need to pay attention to financial aid deadlines. And also, you may have just sent um, the FAFSA and the profile to the one or two or three early, early. schools. Right. You've got to go back and add the school codes to send those forms that are already done to the rest of your list.
1: And remind me, what's the on the form, I think it's eight? Well, on the FAFSA,
2: you can send 10 at a time. Ten at and a time. then you just wait okay. a few days until it fully processes, and you can delete schools and add if you have a lot of schools. More than 10 the schools. The profile, you can add as many as you want, but you're paying... Right. You know, per you're paying per, right. per school. Okay. So, so let so, me ask
0: you a question here. You can add 10 up to 10 and then that data is going to get transferred to over and right. then you could delete a school so now you have 9 and you could add another one. Yeah, what Correct. happens
2: usually is yeah, yeah, so you add 10, you can add 10 on the first one. And then within, you know, 3 or 4 days, the FAFSA is processed processed and then sent to the schools. Then you can go back in you know, through the corrections quote-unquote function and delete all 10. And right. add 10 more, if you want, or So as many if any, as you need.
1: Right. So if anyone out there is listening and they know that they have more than 10 schools that they're applying to, our advice is to make sure that you send it out to the first 10 and then wait a few days, but make sure that cushion is in place before the financial aid deadlines, correct? Yes. Okay.
0: So there's there's so much going on. Eileen, I would love to know, just because after we posted the decisions on December the 13th at Penn, 7 p.m., so there was a little bit of a quiet time, given that it was the evening. We were thinking about our counselors out in California as minute. well.
3: It might have been a little quiet for you, Ferdinand, but look, look, it was nothing but quiet in my office. I just walked out of the office.
0: <laughs> However, the, the, the next morning, we're covering the phones, emails right. are coming in, actually you know, started hearing from people that evening. What is that day after like in a high school?
1: Oh, um kind of hellish actually um, because it's a huge mishmash of emotions. So you have one student walking in who is elated and and wants to celebrate this great accomplishment but they're sensitized to the fact that other people aren't getting the news that they wanted to because the next person coming in the office might be devastated. Celebrate with dignity. You covered that the last show. Yeah, we did. And you know what? I have to say I was so proud of the students at Dwight because we have over 97% of them applying somewhere early, either early decision, buying early action, non-binding, or priority rolling. And to a student, they all were magnificent in supporting each other through that very tumultuous week. The week before winter break is traditionally in most college uh, college guidance offices, our hell week, because we are basically at the mercy of the emotions that these kids are carrying around. It's really stressful for them.
0: So how are they sharing their decisions? So it is now 30 seconds after a decision gets posted and are all the students, are they on Snapchat or yep. whatever they're using to share their decisions yeah. at this point?
1: I would say it's Snapchat and Instagram more so than Facebook at this point. And you know, it's the graying of Facebook, it, you oh, know? Yes, yes. Um, And you know, they tell their friends, but they're not walking in school the next day dressed in head to toe with the college swag on. They wait, at least in our school, until May 1, which is the national uh, candidate deadline for notifying the colleges. So once they decide ultimately where they're going to attend the following fall that's when we have a day of celebration where they are all wearing their school garb but um yeah it's usually instagram and snapchat for the most part whatever the
0: platform it's instant we want to hear from you at eight six six nine nine three eight two six seven. as we head into a break give us a call the process will be right back you're listening to The Process on SiriusXM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen Cunningham-Fikens. Welcome back to The Process on SiriusXM Stars. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania with Eileen Cunningham-Fikens, Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School. Hey there. Welcome back. And also David Sharlow, who is a financial aid expert and co-founder of AccessApply.com, provides resources to help students and parents understand all aspects of a college affordability and financial aid.
2: Great to be here again. And we're,
0: we're really excited to hear from you. Please leave us a message over the month. We're going to get back to you, 866-993-8267, or email the process at seriousxm.com. But let's go to a voicemail. How does that sound, Aileen? That
1: sounds great. Let's I think we it. have a few.
4: Hi, I have a quick question. My daughter goes to a very rigorous school um, in Bethesda, Maryland, Hope Norm School, and it is a private girls' school. Now, my question is, how does that rank against let's say, if she gets a high B in an um, honors class compared to an average public school where someone would get straight A's. Um, That is kind of what we're up against, applying to school in the Northern Virginia, Maryland area. And I was curious to see how the college counselors um, uh, are looking at those, uh, different schools and how they value the public school curriculum, even if it's an AP public school, compared to a private school that it has a very, very high ranking. Thanks so much.
0: It's really a great question and I think there's a couple ways that we can address this, one of which on the side of the admissions office review is we go to that high school profile, don't we? Yes, and you I'd do. I'd love to know a little bit about how you try to position Dwight Englewood School, just like Holton Arms are some very good schools in the in the Maryland area, how do you try to make sure that individuals understand, admission officers and families understand the context of your school?
1: Um, a few ways. We describe overall what the school is all about, right? So at Dwight Anguid, we are a co-educational independent day school, age th- you know, three plus through senior year, right? So we usually give the colleges a brief outline of what the school is composed of. Then we go into curriculum. We go into the grading um, rubric of how we come up with a GPA. Um, I know at Dwight, we're very conscious not to weight our GPA. Okay. Um, so weighted,
0: un- unweighted becomes weighted a conversation. Weighted versus unweighted,
1: sure. And you know, here you are sitting across the table from me. And I remember when I first started at Dwight over 10 years ago, Um, (laughs) they were still waiting the GPA, and I raised a big call to Do away with that, because my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that colleges are going to recalculate a GPA based on what their rubric is.
0: Many times schools will recalculate a GPA. And I think the most important piece here, though, is the information. I mean, people talk about transparency all the time, trying to have that full context and understanding. Whether it's weighted or unweighted, I just need to know that. Right. Now, I think part of this, and I think this is really important for for the, the caller, is What incentives or behaviors are you trying to put into place based on these things? Am I taking this course because I'm going to get that 0.5 or or extra point for the weighting? And then what does that do to the stress level at the school too? Is it about the course or is it about the jockeying for that weighting?
1: Well, it's interesting because once you take that waiting away, then the focus really is on the rigor. Yes, right. And so, what level of course? What level of course? Right. So, is it a college prep course? Is it an honors course? Is it an AP course? Or in some cases, an international baccalaureate and an IB program? All of that would be stipulated on the school profile. But in addition to just the curriculum, I think what's important to note is that on the profile typically there are test scores, medians, mid 50% range That's right. for both um, the SAT and the ACT. It will also give, in many times, um, some kind of chart that gives some indication of how strongly the students perform on AP exams if AP courses are offered in the curriculum. It will also provide those aspects of a school that make it unique. So not every school has the same nomenclature when it comes to course titles, or they might have certain requirements that are specific to their individual school. Often on our, our school profile, I know we give a three-year trajectory of where our students have enrolled, okay. um, and that gives the colleges some kind of understanding as to where our students go and the rigor of selectivity they're, they're following post-secondarily.
0: Well, I think a big part of this question, too, is okay, I'm living in an area where I have a high tax base. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have strong public schools in that Virginia, Maryland area where Holton Arms is. Same thing in northern New Jersey. Right. So families are making choices there. And part of that investment is am I going to be stacked up? How am I going to be stacked up in this college admissions process? And, you know, one piece that I would say as a parent where, you know, you're making choices for a range of reasons. And, you don't want the only reason to make that decision where to get into college. I'm
1: so glad you said that. Easy Thank for you. me to say,
0: right, as the dean of admissions. But it's it's true as but a But it's true.
1: Absolutely. It has to do with class size. It has to do with rigor overall. It has to do with the core values of a school. One of the best things my son ever said to me when he first transferred to Dwight Engwood in sixth grade was, it's so much harder, mom. And I said, why is it hard? He said, they really make you think here. And it was great. I couldn't have scripted it. But because exactly. of the attention that was permitted in that small classroom setting, those bars were set high. And I always say to my students, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: I think it's really important to step all the way back and realize that high school is a really valuable educational experience in and of itself. It's just not a treadmill to the college application. Right. So I think that's very, very important. Learning
1: how to learn, right? right, to be a lifelong learner, I think that's going to be key for a lot of families making these decisions. And they shouldn't necessarily expect that where the student goes to high school is going to get them in. It's how the student performs given the curriculum in which they're learning and then taking that forward. And so the college application process would hopefully be a little bit more organic as as a trajectory from high school to whatever is waiting for them beyond college. And we
0: would love to hear more as a follow-up this weekend from hearing the answer to this question. Give us a call, 866-993-8267. Leave us a message, because I do think that this is on on the minds of many of our listeners. The process at CRSXM.com. Shoot us an email. Why don't we go to that second call?
5: Hi, my name is Kat from LA. When my uh, son got his PSAT scores back, he got a treasure trove of information regarding every question he answered and how he answered it and how he can work on it for the future, which I thought was wonderful. But when my friend's son got his AP score back from an exam last year, he failed, and he was not given any information regarding how it was scored. When she went to try to find that out, they wanted to charge her, and um, it just seemed to me that that very... uh, very unfair and kind of reeked of a scam. So, and I, then I've also heard that the AP exams don't have to be um, sent to the colleges. So, I just want to know what your feelings are on that. And I don't understand why you can't get your, the information regarding the AP exam, how your child was scored. Thanks.
1: This is a great question. And I think it it's points fantastic. to what the definition and the usage of each exam is, right? So the PSAT is a precursor to the SAT, and it is an instrument used by colleges to gauge a student's ability to um, deliver their acumen on Gained knowledge, basically. (laughs) It's not something that one can really study for in terms of content as much as they can for strategy. And taking a test. And taking a test, right? The AP in the advanced placement is a totally different instrument. It is very much tied to a specified curriculum, which is governed by the college board for a particular topic. So there are many different advanced placement courses that span a year in some schools, maybe even over a year. And they'll deal in things like... U.S. history or world history or maybe Spanish or Math 1C or Math 2C. So the purpose for taking an AP exam is to see how a student has fared after they have taken that particular curriculum and how they can respond to questions on that curriculum as opposed to the PSAT, which is more of a diagnostic, a diagnostic. Yeah. Right. So it makes sense then that the PSAT results will be accompanied by a booklet that tells the student which questions they guessed right on or not guessed, but answered correctly, which ones they missed. And then we'll send the student back in terms of a kind of a, a summary of what content areas they might want to focus on so that they could improve their score on the SAT.
0: You know, one of the things that I'm thinking about, though, is, you know, you take a test, you get a result back, and then, okay, that that's it, pass, fail, whatever the case may be. I think the colleges could actually benefit from the AP as a diagnostic. So our freshman counseling office can say, okay, the student received a two or a three on the AP math. How ready are they for our curriculum, right. and what course should they be placed into, which is one of the purposes of the APs as well is you know sure. just how ready are you to start at a certain level within our school i do think part of this question though is as well It's when do you have to pay for something else? You paid to take the exam, now you have to pay for, we were talking about how many schools you could add to certain lists. And at that point, I think people start becoming frustrated. I think it's also- Uh, Taken advantage of. Yeah,
1: I I do think that people feel kind of nickel and dimed, right, by sending all these test scores out. But one thing I want to make sure our listeners understand is that AP exam results are typically not required by a college, but they may be part of a variation on test scores. That a college will take so that it can augment the transcript. But every single college that you ask out there, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure I'm right, is gonna put more focus on the transcript that a student includes in their application or the school, you know, their high school sends out, more so than test scores. And that's why there are almost a thousand colleges out there in the United States right now that are totally test optional. That's
0: right. And, you know, this let's tie these two questions together. Part of this is about rigor. What courses do I take? What knowledge have I gained? As you said, Eileen, mm-hmm. but then how does that position me, not only in the actual evaluation process, but then also how prepared am I? Right, And we know that across the United States, so many states are tied to testing in the fourth grade, the seventh grade. So how can you use this as a diagnostic? So for all of our listeners, this isn't just about college. What about your fourth grader that just received an ERB? Right, And where do you go from there, particularly if your child's at a school that isn't teaching to the test? How do you respond to that? While also recognizing, well, what else do we need to shore up here a little bit in terms of the knowledge that is gained and where my child is?
1: And that could even go back to the first question, like, why are we sending our child to this school A versus school B? And that might be a philosophical question for parents who are not really leaning towards a lot of standardized testing as a way to measure their child's accomplishment or knowledge, but would rather have some other kind of diagnostic to use, whether those are written evaluations, orals, et cetera.
0: That's right. You're listening to The Process on SiriusXM Stars. Give us a call, 866-993-8267. And let's go to the, another voicemail. Let's get another question.
5: Hi, I have a senior. He has applied. I'm pretty sure if his uh, admissions. However, I'm having problems with the financial aid, particularly the CSS profile. We have a um, non-custodial parent and we are unable to have him fill that out and uh, I don't know what to do. So hopefully you have some suggestions. He is the, the non-custodial parent is not available through email or even by phone. I only have a physical address.
0: It's a great question, and we have David Sharlow here from Access Applied. I think, David, you could really help this this caller.
2: Uh, Yeah, the dreaded non-custodial parent question. Uh, Very, very common. Lots and lots of different variations of challenges and issues uh, for students with parents who are divorced or separated, filling out uh, the CSS profile for those schools that require it. And almost every school that requires the profile requires a a second profile from the non-custodial parent. So the key issue here... Um, is the difference between able to and willing to. So the schools are not going to be at all sympathetic to a non-custodial parent who's unwilling to cooperate or unwilling to pay. Um, if there are circumstances, and it sounds like you might have a set of circumstances where there's no contact between the student and and the non-custodial parent or, or very, very limited contact. He's not a part of of her life at all hasn't been for a while. then you might have um, a case for a for a non-custodial waiver request. That How could,
1: difficult are those to get? Though, they're very, Dave. the
2: schools are very stingy um, yeah. about those and it varies um, from from school to school. but generally schools are reluctant to waive the responsibility of the non-custodial parent. So you you might have to dig onto the website or ask them for this form. They all have them. They're not always. What's the, name of the form? It's, it's a non-custodial parent waiver okay. request form. Okay. Basically, what you're trying to do is get the school to say, "Okay, we'll take we'll just base our analysis of your eligibility for need-based aid based upon the custodial household and not the non-custodial parent." Uh, you'll want to document clearly what those circumstances are. If you've got some third-party documentation, someone, you know, uh, An in the clergy, attorney, a, okay. um, a, a guidance counselor. I mean, sometimes they're really the circumstances are are not pretty. There might be a police report or a restraining order or something like that okay. that can document the uh, the request. But uh, but recognize that they might say no. Uh, but do your best with the details to to ask. And if it's just a matter of you know contact, just hand deliver a, a, a letter to to the father saying here you you know log on and do this. You know, if he has the internet, presumably. Okay. Um, but
1: should should th- they be sending things by certified mail?
2: I mean, it really doesn't matter the school. I mean, the school is going to want the parent, the, the custodial father to fill it out, or parent to fill it out if there okay. if there's content it, or contact right. quality relationship between the student and the and the parent. Otherwise. Um, It sounds like you might have a waiver request.
1: Try that first. So I have a a piggyback question on that. Um, Several years ago, I had a student who was living with his mom, single mom, and they had no idea where his father was. It wasn't a question of having even a physical address. What kind of documentation or proof is, you know, like do they have to do something?
2: It's going to vary. I mean, you do need to describe those circumstances to the financial aid office or all the offices, and they'll all have their own version of a non- of a waiver form. Okay. One letter you can probably staple to it though, but you probably need to do their form. And then do the best you can with third party documentation. Someone okay. that uh, someone else that can that, that can say, yes, this is to the best of our knowledge, this is a situation. We have no idea where you know, okay. where the other parent is.
1: I mean, usually my interaction from the college counseling office is with the admissions office. I have to say those... That's where you have the relationship. That's where the relationship is really strong. However, I have to say I have been very um, satisfied, if not outright pleased, by the amount of individual attention that my families have received when they do have to have conversations with financial aid offices. So I would recommend um, that if you are calling a school and asking for information, additional information for financial aid, that you make sure you get the name of the person that you're speaking with and if you can get a direct dial for them, just so that you're not going through all of those explanations every single time you pick up the phone. And also, tap into your college counselor and have them help as well. That's what we're here for.
0: That's right, you know, from, from financial aid, to testing, to coursework, don't go anywhere. We'll continue with the process. Leave us a message, 866-993-8267. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen Cunningham Fikens. Welcome back to the second half of the show, the last weekend of December 2018. This is The Process on SiriusXM stars. Eric Furt, dean of admissions at the University of Pennsylvania, and Eileen Cunningham-Vikens, director of college counseling at the Dwight Englewood School. Hello again.
1: Hello. Gosh, we had so many great voicemail questions. I know. We need I to get more of them, them. Yeah.
0: over the month. Let us know. 866-993-8267. Also, David Charlo from Access Applied, a regular on the show. Great to have you, David. Always great to be here. Happy almost new year. And a very special guest today. Ashley Roland Marlowe is a senior admissions advisor in the Hunter College School of Education in the Office of Admissions and Recruitment, focused on recruitment of graduate students and assist per- prospective students with selecting. And applying to programs in education, leadership, and counseling. So we have one of ours in the studio with us. I'm giving you the big air hug right now, Ashley. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, I actually have a master's degree in education, and, you know, it's shocking. Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> Teachers College, Columbia University, <laughs> whoop, right whoop. up the street here in New York City. And, you know, thinking about the process, in many ways, we've talked about students applying into into middle school and into high school. Certainly we, we focus on the college process, but Ashley, you're sitting in a very unique position because you see individuals who have already graduated from college. Maybe they've already been in the workforce. Some maybe want to come right out of college and get a, a, a graduate degree in education. Uh, maybe what's the mix? How many are coming right out of college and how many are already in a career and deciding that they're going to go full or part-time?
3: That's a great question. Um, We have a lot of students who want to go right into their master's degree because they studied education as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, So being in New York, we're in such a great position because... A lot of the SUNY schools, uh, you know, students go away and they want to come back. And they're like, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to continue this pathway. Um, The people that I see on a day to day basis are the people who have like five, 10, even 20 years experience in a completely unrelated field. And sometimes they have that moment where they're like, this isn't fulfilling anymore. And now I really want to, you know, give back. I really want to, you know, be a part of my community. Um, Sometimes people have children, and that's their segue into education. That's right. And they're like, I can do this. Um, So, my job is really saying, Yes, you can. And this is how you do it. (laughs) That must
1: be really rewarding talking to people who are, you know, making this decision. And, you know, that's a really courageous move, especially if you're already in a different career and you're established in that career. And so, I'm thinking that the people that you interact with, those counselees must be really, really stoked to get going in this direction. Um, do many of them need to get post-baccalaureate work done in you know preparation for a master's? What's that process like?
3: Oh, that's great. Um, sometimes, yes. So specifically, if you want to be a high school okay. content teacher and okay. say you want to be um, a math teacher, but you studied English. You're gonna to have to go back and get those math courses. That's right. But for all other programs, the state, you know, New York State Education Department is just like, hey, we need our teachers to have a broad liberal arts and science background. Plug so, for the liberal arts and God sciences. Loves yes. the liberal arts. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even, you know, give her a little note to say that. Um, so that's where you know we look through all of the transcripts. That's where you know AP courses come into play because we're you know really trying to show that anyone who comes into our programs meets all of the criteria. Um, so for the most part, you know, it people's, you know, academic record is as it is, That's you know, right. their GPA right. is what it is. And sometimes we try to work with them, especially if the GPA is a little below 3.0. Okay. Um, to kind of say, you know, this is there's still a pathway That's right. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but we still, you know, help them to get to where they want to go.
0: And I would think, you know, just 10 years ago when the economy, you know, had such a disruption and, you know, sometimes graduate programs, if the economy isn't strong, people are going to come back. Then you have the career changers as well, which could be this epiphany of I really want to do something different, but then also perhaps if they lost their job as well. Do you see fluctuations like that taking place or is it fairly stable for for you at Hunter?
3: Um, it's you know it's been fairly stable. Um, I think the interest you know is there, and what we've been doing you know for the past a like, couple years that I've been a hunter is really finding ways to just connect with people. So having online sessions, having you know, um, sessions at nearby coffee shops. That's right. Um, I'm doing more traveling, hmm. so you know, just really getting connected because I think there's so much uh, like hesitation to yes. actually connect with someone because of that fear of being rejected.
0: That's right. Well that, that so, goes across yeah. the process, doesn't it?
1: Uh, it's part of the process, right? So here's a question for you because I'm so wedded to the undergraduate admissions process. Could you talk a little bit about the timeline for graduate admissions and what are those deadlines? What's the turnaround on an application? What are the different elements that a student needs or prospective student needs to make sure that they, you know, have available and send in, I mean, are their essays or their interviews? If you could run through that a little bit, that would be really helpful. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, the admissions timeline—it's uh, I think a little shorter than the undergrad process because we have deadlines every semester. So <laughs> okay. we have people applying in the spring to start in the fall. So they want to—they apply by March fifteenth. Okay. Um, and then we have people applying by October fifteenth to get started in January. So right now That's it's a quick like, turnaround. That is. Yeah, quick. it's like we're we're ending the spring twenty nineteen you know cycle, and my life is really just thinking about what am I going to be doing this summer and next fall to think about next spring because we're already in fall 2019 recruitment. Right. Wow. Yeah. So it never stops. No,
1: it's constant. And how many weeks does it take to kind of review that application and get an answer back to a candidate?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it, it varies based on the program. So, you know, some colleges have very competitive programs where it might take a little longer because the faculty are looking through every piece. Uh, You know, it's a very holistic process. Um, So for our programs, you know, we try to get uh, about six to eight weeks. We try to get the decisions starting to go out. Um, But you did mention, you know, the different pieces that they need. So, you know, we require essays. Some programs require additional essays. You need transcripts. Um, And we tell uh, students, we're like, if you don't have them, you need to get all your transcripts. That's right. So sometimes, you know, not having those pieces can hold things up a little.
0: Well, and, and even thinking with David here, sometimes that's the first time an individual finds out that that little library fee wasn't paid, and <laughs> you can't even get your transcript, even though yeah, you paid your yeah. tuition. But yeah. you owe us twenty dollars. Seventeen years ago. Seventeen years ago, you owe that book. You know, return the book, <laughs> and you know, compound the the interest on that one. Yeah. So, and we see this, you know, also at at the University of Pennsylvania and at other schools where students are making some decisions about graduate study, sometimes prematurely. However, Ashley, to your point, for some credentialing, like being a certified teacher, there is a need for some students to go beyond their four years of undergraduate study. And while they're already in that mode of learning and being a student, don't have other pieces of their lives as as complicated maybe to get that master's degree right away. But I love the continuing education part of this, too, and opportunities. Does Hunter have any online programs as well, or is this all in-person Tuesday afternoon, 6 o'clock in the evening, you're going to leave your job and go up and take a course.
3: Uh, most of the programs are on campus. Um, you know, a lot of the teachers are working around the city. A That's lot right. of people work in the city, so it's, uh, it's convenient, especially our location. Um, but we do, you know, have some professors that want to offer online courses or hybrid courses. Okay. So it's, it's really dependent on the program and the professor. But there's tons of, you know technology tools that our professors are using to really get to those people who are already in the field that's and right. are just uh, you know wanting to get more um, certifications, wanting to deepen their understanding of different learners. Um, so that's where like those online courses really come into play.
2: And these programs can be done part time or full time. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of flexibility um, because, you know, people are adults. They're working. They have children. So it's you know, it's hard for someone to just drop everything and go to school full time. So I would say, you know, about, you know, 60 to 70 percent of students are part time and they're, you know, just kind of going at their pace. That's right. um, Which I think is really exciting, too. Because it's not this like mad dash to get in and get out. It's like, I'm, you know, balancing everything I need. I'm s- switching my career for a lot of people. Um, So there's there's a lot that, you know, they can be scared about. That's but right. just going through that and building the community in their programs, it just it takes them so far
0: one of one of the c's community, community. building that community
1: you know listening to you, ashley i'm so glad you're in the studio today and and you've been with us since we started our broadcast today which you know i've seen you nodding your head and some of our conversations have been about not making high school just um the next step to college and in that same line of thinking not making college just the next step right it's all a process and there's a thread That's through continual. the entire thing right and so there's also that thought i think on a lot of Minds of high school students, I have to be this major in order to be successful, or I have to have this particular college degree. And I think that there's so much room for flexibility there. Um, And maybe for students to do a little bit more self reflection on not necessarily um, where they go to school, although that is very important, but why are they going to school? What's the purpose of it? Right. One of the first questions I always ask a junior when I start working with them is, why do you want to go to college? And, and they, they look at me <laughs> like I'm stupid. You know, like, you're my college counselor. You should know that. That's yeah. Right. Um, but to really have them understand that this is a deeper question. It's not 13th grade. That's right. right. Well, you're
0: listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Give us a call, 866-993-8267. We have a dean of admissions, that's me. We have Eileen Cunningham feikens director of college counseling at the Dwight Englewood School.
1: That's me. Woohoo!
0: David Charlo from Access Applied and great information from Ashley Roland Marlow, who is in graduate admissions at Hunter College for the School of Education. I, I had to bring this back full circle. Last weekend of December right now, okay? Yep. Knocking on the door of 2019. And we started the show talking a little bit about early decision, early action results that came out in the middle of December. What about that rebound? I know we touched on this a little bit, but what are your concerns, particularly since you haven't been with your students over the last week to 10 days, right? Oh, I've been with them in
1: spirit. Oh, you're with them in spirit. Are they
0: pinging you? Are they saying, (laughs) you know, now I'm going to add another, you know, many deadlines are right around the corner, some before you get back to school in session. And so.
1: Okay. So. Everyone who works with me knows, and you guys probably know by now, that my favorite F word is front load. Front load. Right? So we want to make sure that the students, before they leave at Dwight Englewood for winter break, they've already prepared their regular decision applications. Now, they hate me for that because if they're applying to a school early, they're hopeful they won't need their regular decision applications. And for those of you out there who have not yet And I want to talk about that,
0: ED2 within this. There's oh, so many okay. more early oh, decision 2 deadlines that are the same dates as the as regular. The regular, deadlines.
1: right? But here's the thought. Most of those deadlines are January 1, January 2, January 5th. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're either even later. It could be January 15th or February 1. Okay. But one thing I, that's really basic and it's logistical, don't wait until the night before the deadline. Don't wait until the strike of midnight to get that application. And those websites are typically very high-trafficked yeah, at crunch absolutely. times, so you wanna get in front of that wave. So you wanna make sure that you complete your aspect of the application at least three or four days before any stated deadline. So what's today's date? There you go. Yeah, yeah. Right, we're, we're right so in it this, this weekend. Is right Don't wait for the now, new year. For students who were admitted to their school of choice under early decision binding, if they had other applications in play for regular decision, and those have already been sent, and we've already to the worked with the financial offices, aid, as David has said, right, they need to contact those schools and immediately withdraw those applications because they're committed to an early decision binding. So they can do that either through the school portal. Many of them they can do it that way. That's right. Um, other students, they are welcome. to to contact if they know the name and email of the representative or admissions at, you know, (laughs) feikensuniversity.edu. They can send that, but it has to be in writing from the student. It can't be from the parent. It can't be from the guidance counselor. So that's number one. If they are going forward with their regular decision applications because they might have received great news from an early action school, but that is non-binding, they're going to make sure that they get those applications in before deadline.
0: And what do you, you know, if I was just admitted to a great school early action, Mm -hmm. you know, any of the schools you apply to are great, right? It could your
1: list, right? It could totally totally shift how you move forward from this point in the process. So it could mean that other schools that you liked, but they're not as popular with you as the school to which you have now been admitted, um, let them off the hook. Right? So you can withdraw those applications or just not send them in, and then go forward with those other applications where you'd really like to have that option available to you should you be admitted later on. The one thing I caution students against is a knee-jerk reaction. So if they don't get into their early decision choice, all of a sudden they add 15 schools to their list. You start getting fatigued. List. You just can't right? do it. You can't do it. It's gonna, you're writing from a position of defeat, so it's, it's going to be harder for you to write. But also... There's a reason schools made your initial list, and that initial list should be one which is based on balance and range. So you've got some reach schools, some target schools, and some high probability schools. It's not about trophy hunting at this point. It's not how many schools you're admitted to. And within your
0: own school, you're feeling that that might knock out another student.
1: Exactly. Well, mm, yes and no. Although, gee, Eric is the dean at the University of Pennsylvania. Maybe you can answer this for me. Do you have quotas at any high school?
0: Oh, we're doing turn the table on the D now. Yes. OK, nice. Give me do warning you? next time. No. no I'm, no, I'm it's, just it's, asking. It's, you don't have a quota it's, for a high it's, school, It's, do it's you? a great question. And the answer is no. And uh, you know, the very straightforward answer is no, while you're competing against everybody in the pool, right. correct? Correct. And so if students are creating their own competition within their own school, this almost gets back to one of the questions we had earlier from a, from one of our callers is, you know, where do I go to school? And am I competing against those that are right next to me? let alone the ones right down the street.
1: Right, you're, or across the country. You're competing
0: against everybody, but you don't need to create that, or at least I think the counselors within a school can help try to mitigate some of that.
1: Absolutely.
0: You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Leave us a message, 866-993-8267, and let's go to another call.
4: Hi, this is Susie from New Jersey, and I would like to know if Mr. Ferda could um, actually give the date on which the early decision decisions will be um, posted or emailed to students this year.
0: So we posted our decisions on December 13th, which is you know one of the downsides of a monthly show. Maybe we have to go daily on this, right? We'll just go right at it. However, this does raise many pieces. Number one is students will be notified, particularly around, early deadlines that you know in a week check your portal make sure you have your password all up to date and so you're ready on that date and that's what we did prior to the december 13th posting however You do need to check back, though. Students are pinging into their portal, making sure that they have all of their materials complete. But what do you see on your side of the desk? Well,
1: also, there are schools that haven't notified that have early programs, right? David Charlo and I were talking about this before we started today. There are many schools that have notification in January. So while Penn might have gotten their decisions out, there are schools like University of Virginia and UNC Chapel Hill and Villanova and Northeastern. And I'm sure that's part of their
0: process, though. I'm sure that's predictable.
1: Especially if they have for early decision and then a round of early action. Typically, the early action decisions don't come out for a few weeks after the early decisions, right? And then, of course, there's that regular wave. Um, So it's it's a series of different deadlines. And, you know, Eric, you brought up early decision two. Early decision two is not an option at every single school out there. It's basically the same thing as early decision one. It's just a little bit later in the system it's still binding mm-hmm. right but here's the thing a lot of the students who were not admitted to their ed1 schools are they're then going to want to truncate this process and just be done with it yeah. right because they're either a little bruised in their ego and they're just done emotionally or for they had a clear second choice and they offer an ed2 yeah. that's great just remember with you those have deadlines
0: to- though you're filling out the regular
1: at the application same time at the same submitting time right. you're submitting at the same time but here's the difference if a student wants to apply ED2 and it's a common app school they have to go back into their supplement for that college okay change the application plan under which they're applying to an ED2 sign off on the ED um, agreement they also have to assign a parent to sign off on that early decision agreement And And yours truly, the college advisor has to sign off on that. So they can't do it alone. They have to call in their team, right? And we all have to be on board so that the college to which they're applying ED2 knows that they're applying ED2. And typically those decisions will come out sometime in February as opposed to by the end of March for regular decision.
0: You're listening to the process. Some great advice. The process at SiriusXM.com. If you want to shoot us a message or leave a message, 866 993 8267. Let's go to another call.
5: Hi, I have a question regarding taking sophomore AP classes um, in preparation for uh, college. Um, are those suggested?
0: So, as I see, whenever I see a student taking an AP in the sophomore year, It's usually APUS is what I usually see. Usually students are not ready for science. You you tell me in terms of course selection. I would say it
1: depends. It's European history in the sophomore year US history. A push is usually in junior year, but also if kids are advanced in mathematics, they might be taking calculus AP Calc AB their sophomore year, something like that. It could be a foreign language. Human geography sometimes. Oh, human geography. Absolutely. Sometimes, every once in a while, you'll see an economics. Interesting. Here's a question for you, though. It's the same curriculum. It doesn't matter if you take it junior year, freshman year, sophomore year, senior year. AP is AP, right? But if you're on the college side and Susie Q sends in her application and you see that she's taken AP courses in her sophomore year, but she has not sent in the, the score. AP score, what's your gut reaction on that, Eric?
0: It's a great question. And we have fielded this before in different ways. You're going to assume probably the worst there.
1: Ooh, is, you know, you, they didn't a, fare well on the they test didn't fare that's well what you're saying okay.
0: although i'd liken this too in some ways sometimes when you look at some of the sat scores that students take earlier on because they're in a center for talented youth or right. something like John that Sofans, I mean, right. much earlier on so you need to cut them a break because what they're talking what i'm talking about when i think about the courses that they're taking again goes back to that they're pushing themselves with the rigor i guess the question is was it too much too soon and going back to one of the calls that we had earlier as well, I don't think a student should take five advanced clor- courses, five AP courses, whatever the curriculum is within your school. it got to be balanced,
1: right? Balance it out. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I would have been that U.S. history kid, but I wasn't that physics kid necessarily. Really? So, no, surprising, <laughs> shocking. And and so, you know, what does that calibration look like within the curriculum and not be driven so much just towards, you know, again, that, that end result?
1: Piggyback question. If a student doesn't require, report any scores on the Common App. They opt out because it's optional to list them on the Common App. They have their official scores sent, of course, but is that a red flag for you on the college side if they're not reporting on the Common App, like self-reporting?
0: Well, I think there's two things at play here. One is that more and more schools will accept self-reported scores and verify okay. later on. So That's in many ways, point. it may be beneficial. We were talking about adding schools to your list and sending scores and costs associated before. So putting them on your Common App, I think, could be very helpful for the student to start the evaluation process, okay. even if they're unofficial. Certainly, if you're taking other tests later on, you could indicate that as well. However, you know, sometimes students would like to pick and choose. Uh and just feel that, you know, they have some control control, over it. It gets confusing though, I would say. It is. And it must drive you crazy. Do you just have to, how do you enforce it? Not um, I don't it.
1: enforce it. I have the conversation. I let the students know what their options are. If there's one school on their list, which is test optional, they're not going to want to list those scores on their Common App, and they can send the official scores. I just want to make sure, talking to the dean, that I'm not disserving.
0: No, it's it's. I, I think students are better served by putting the scores down on the Common App or the Coalition App or however Whatever they're applying. Yeah. Get those scores into the school okay. because they could start the evaluation process. Now, okay. if you are requesting for us to receive these scores officially, we're getting them on a daily basis and they're being filled into yeah. filled into the application. Excellent. So we'll just help them out that way. Thanks, Sarah. Do we have any parting words for the new year? This is like the five-second parting words in the new year.
1: Pay attention to deadlines.
0: Pay attention to deadlines, okay? Admissions and financial aid. Ashley. Give a point of advice to anybody thinking of Graduate School of Education at Hunter.
3: You can do it.
0: You can do it. I love that. I I love that. that. David Charlotte from Access Applied. Word of advice heading into the new year.
2: Oh, just stay calm. calm. It'll all work out. Stay
1: calm. And stay strong, right?
0: Well, that, that's a wrap. That's a process. We'll be back at the same time on the last weekend of the month right here on Sirius XM Stars. In the meantime, keep the questions rolling. 866-993-8267. Eileen, David, Ashley, Jake, Scott, Eric Verda, Dean of Admissions. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year,
2: everyone. Happy New Year.